Today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Peter Roberts, who is Head of Distribution for IAG Cargo, to the Intuitive Insights podcast. Peter has had a career in aviation, and so I'm really interested in hearing his views and how they relate to the rest of the transport industry. Good morning, Peter Roberts, Head of Distribution for IAG Cargo. A very, very warm welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. Morning. Thank you very much, Nina. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you, Peter. And I think you are officially our very first person who is coming from an aviation background. We've had lots and lots of guests on Intuitive Insights over the last 18 months who have come from a rail background. Um, but it's important for us to be able to kind of learn from other sectors and find out what's happening elsewhere in the transport industry. So I'm absolutely delighted that you have agreed to come and join me on the virtual couch this morning for um, for the podcast. Well, thank you very much and lovely to be here. Um, IAG Cargo is one of those names that not many people know. Should I just briefly say um you know what it is and and how it fits into transport because uh, that would I'm be that... yeah that would be brilliant that would be fantastic i'm really keen to know what your current role is and and yes as you say that'd be really interesting to, to kind of hear how iag fits in um i'm interested to hear your your kind of your own career story to date and and really interesting for me and our audience is why transport in the first place? What was that pull? So I'll hand over to you, Peter, and you can set the scene for us and then share your story, if you will. OK, great. Thank you. So, um, yeah, head of distribution for IAG Cargo. IAG Cargo is the cargo management arm uh, for the five airlines inside IAG. So that's British Airways, Iberia. Aer Lingus, Welling and Level. Um, so we're a, a global group um, and I specifically look after how we do digital distribution. So um, our digital sales arms on our own website, igcargo.com and through our API channels, which connect through to uh, distribution platforms, sort of um, the train lines of the freight world. Um, so that's what I do today. Um, in terms of how did I get into transport and why transport? I think when I started out my career, I didn't really have a particularly clear view leaving university that transport was going to be the, the place for me. Um, I had done a biochemistry degree with a, a sort of a, a major within um, that focusing on some computer technology. So I pretty much applied to the FTSE 100 uh, grad schemes on the computer grad schemes right. and um, was lucky enough to get a, a role on the grad scheme at British Airways uh, on their computer pathway. Um, so I went into that thinking, this is my first step. I'll be here for a couple of years. I'll learn a bit about technology and industry and then you know, perhaps move on. And uh, the thing about once you get into transport, whether you go there deliberately or you, you land there uh, almost by happy accident, is it's such a fascinating industry. And it's so continually facing change and challenge and disruption that uh, once you're in, the, the possibility of stepping out seems seems uh, seems mad. So it's something that you fall in love with at the moment you're into it. So uh, I guess a little bit about my career path, if you'd like. Please, yeah, love to hear uh, it. So yeah, I joined British Airways on this uh, computer grad scheme, and I started working on VA.com um, in its early years, um, and you know went through kind of the technical path. Uh, where I was a junior developer and then sort of a bit more senior and doing various bits and pieces 
on the Beer.com platform, building out its selling capability. Um, and I did that for a few years and I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the problem solving. I enjoyed the, uh, the team that I worked with. But I kind of reached a point where I felt like I wasn't really going to be progressing or learning new things, um, particularly it felt like I was sort of hitting my, um, my, the point where I really wanted to change and, and learn something new. So I um, switched across to the business side. Uh, so still looking uh, on BA.com, but I took on product ownership of uh, the Manage My Booking section. So if you've ever flown with BA and you've you know gone in to choose a seat or, uh, you know, help somebody select a wheelchair or any of those sorts of things then you've, you've touched something which probably still has a little bit of me left in it um, right. and um, that was I guess the first time that I really started to understand the difference between solving a particular problem with technology and then owning a product and there's a there's a world of difference between just doing a project and owning a product and with the manage my booking product at, at that time it was slightly unloved, wasn't seen as particularly reliable, didn't really get the customer throughput that it deserved because it was a really good piece of kit, um, but customers didn't trust it. And that's when I started to sort of, you know, understand that having great functionality isn't enough. You also need to have reliability and usability. Mm -hmm. And um, the first thing I did is I sort of set about kind of fix the basics style project to understand what was blocking customers from using it, why uh, they didn't trust it, and try and tackle those issues. And so that's what I did. I worked with some of my tech team, and I also spent quite a lot of time uh, engaging directly with customers through um, a website called Flyer Talk, which is sort of a, a frequent flyer whinging forum, uh, an information sharing forum. But it's a really fantastic place to get insight about what was going on and could get direct feedback when things weren't working. And when things were and could see the difference. So, um, yeah, I plugged away at that for a little while and um, managed my booking move from something that, that wasn't reliable but had great functionality to having the reliability and the functionality um, and expanded that on a few other big projects within that space. Um, and then um, kind of reached the point where I was ready to move on to the next thing. And that's when I switched to the product side of BA, so product development side. Mm. Um, the intention was that I'd be still kind of in that technical space, um, you know, supporting some of the, the technology growth and, the, and that pathway. And then as things happen in careers and, and accidents happen, uh, somebody went on maternity leave and I inherited their portfolio of airport product. Okay. And I knew nothing about airport throughput. I knew nothing about um, what people liked, what they didn't like, the challenges of uh, introducing change in a regulated environment, um, the you know it's a unionized environment, um, it's partially outsourced in in most places. Um, so I kind of started on the same. Okay, well let's look at the reliability, functionality, and usability of this piece of the puzzle that I now I now own, and and look for opportunities to make a difference where I could see a difference being made. And I started by listening to customers. I started looking at the data and walking around the airport myself. So I spent a lot of time you know, going through security and then spending time in the airport watching people just to understand it. Because if you don't, if, once you understand it, then you can start doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and one of the um, complaints that customers had was around um, premium boarding reliability. So um, 
if you've bought your business class ticket or you're an exec club member at the time you didn't always get the priority boarding experience that had been promised to you and there were lots of reasons and history kind of builds up reasons why things don't happen there were lots of reasons why that wasn't in place on every flight um but i felt like those were reasons that could be challenged if we approached it in a new way so i took a bit of persuading with some of my colleagues to say okay let's do a trial where we roll out premium boarding on every flight and um you know there were concerns about the opex impacts so of the running cost impact and would it have an extra staffing need would there be health and safety concerns about having new signage that sort of thing so i said well let's let's just trial it so i got hold of an old sign and printed out a new premium boarding sign and literally lugged it around terminal 5 with a clipboard to <laughs> to trial this thing um and it turned out that the customers were in the mindset to follow instruction going through the thing and if there was a sign saying please do this they did it so um we were able to um prove the trial was really successful um we could then expand that out first in T5 and then across the world so that every time for every flight there was a you know, that premium boarding signage was there and and it didn't change the number of people that were needed it didn't change how long it took to board anything it, it just meant that people felt like they were getting what had been promised yeah. and nobody felt like they were having a broken promise and um that was a reliability change rather than a functional change or a usability change it's just mm. on the reliability front um so having done some pieces like that i then um, got called into uh, a project looking cuz he throws a regulated environment um working out what the strategic direction was going to be for the next 5 year regulated period this quinquennium period and um having never really done strategy stuff in a big way before um i uh worked closely with some colleagues and some some really good people in the kind of regulatory environment um team who um i could inject the this is the customer voice this is what's important to the customer and this is why it's important for our business and they were injecting all of the regulatory the economic and the kind of the, the um the big grown up finance stuff yeah. um but that was a really fascinating period for me and i kind of you know we worked together to build out this big strategy that um was looking at all the proposals all the different projects and you know picking and choosing what we felt was really really important for us and for our customers and and for the economic value of the business and that that proposal kind of got taken forward and accepted and that was that was then the end of that piece of work so i started looking for my next uh yeah. opportunity and that's when i switched across to iag cargo having always been on the passenger side um switching across to a completely new environment um a much more group perspective rather than that one single airline um and it's a b2b industry it's a completely different customer base it's a completely different product it's a completely different everything um and we went into that with with um not a lot of knowledge but a lot of enthusiasm and and uh you know started building up that knowledge as quickly as possible and um that was a a period of the business where it was going through transformation and a lot of people transformation uh so as the head of strategy at the time I started to build out okay well here's the strategy of what's going on externally and economically but also this is what we need to do on certain projects um you know around some of the people change things to move from 
being multiple different cargo organizations to a single coherent uh, cargo platform. Um, and again, a lot of that was to do with, um, that, was, that was more focused on the economic realities, the external environment, the volatility that was going on. How would we respond? What did we need to do? Where were the opportunities? Where were the risks? How did we need to adjust the business slightly to, uh, to maximize the opportunities and, and sort of ride out the risks? Uh, and then from there, one of the opportunities that was identified was maybe we should look at cross-border e-commerce. So I kind of put my old technology hat back on, got in touch okay. with some of my old tech colleagues, and we built out a little proof of concept uh, cross-border e-commerce delivery proposition that could reliably get um, a shipment that you bought on a website in the US to get to a consumer door in the UK with the customs all dealt with and everything kind of very, very simple. Mm. That was the, the vision and the goal. And um, we, we built this thing out. We did a bit of a proof of concept and we delivered newspapers to all of the leadership team. So newspapers from Washington to the yeah. leadership team's front doors in the UK because um, it was if it went wrong, it was a newspaper and no one was going to you know, cry yeah. over the lost money. But yeah. also there's a date on a newspaper so you can prove how fast it's got there. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of the proof point to let us go forward and build that out. And I spent a couple of years building out that platform um, into, a, into a little nascent company called Zender. Um, and it had really great reliability. It had really, really good functionality. Um, I think the challenge that we faced on that project was the, the usability front and, and attracting customers onto that platform because it, its right. scope was just one lane initially. And we, we planned to expand it out. Um, so we were just sort of tackling those challenges when new opportunity um, came my way to look after the digital distribution for, for the whole of the IG Cargo arm yeah. instead of just this one little piece. Um, and so, yeah, and that's that's where I've got to where I am today. So Right, bringing a smack bang up today. <laughs> a bit of a wiggly path, um, but along that whole way, there's been opportunity to own things and focus on that kind of reliability product um, product capability usability yeah that um bringing those three things into balance has, has yielded great great results yeah yeah i think um i love wiggly paths i think wiggly paths are great and i think you know bearing in mind what i do for a living i'm speaking to people constantly about their careers and 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 the path that they've taken from when they went in first went into work to where they are today in senior roles like yourself and and I don't think I've ever met anyone who whose career path has been a straight one I think there is I think everybody's path has got wiggles to a certain extent and I think there's probably um, a, a strong case for saying the wigglier the better uh, what strikes me Peter from your, from what you've just shared with us is that you have um, you have constantly and consistently grabbed the opportunities when they have presented themselves and you've said a few times there when you've gone into a new role or whether you when you were presented with an opportunity for a new role um you've said and I knew nothing about it so I had not much knowledge but lots of enthusiasm 
Um, and that really fascinates me because there is this kind of there's a there's a theory in relation to um, for a start off the difference between men and women when we look at an opportunity and and men are more likely to look at it and say, well, I can do two out of the 10 things they want. So I'm going to chuck me out in the ring for that. Whereas females are much more likely to say, well, I can only do eight of them. I need the other two. So I'll, I'll not I'll not bother going for this one. What is it about you that's kind of um, put you in that position where you're saying, do you know what? I don't know anything about airports, but I'm just going to have a go because it, it looks interesting. Um, well, on the airport one, it was it was almost um, it was a surprise to me. Uh, so it was literally somebody went on maternity leave and I received their portfolio as a as a, a thumb drive and, uh, <laughs> and a new brief. Um, so. I think. That probably helped me when I looked at future opportunities to go, okay, well, just because I don't have um, expert knowledge in that arena of the industry doesn't mean that the knowledge I I bring from other parts of the industry isn't valid. And just because I haven't built business cases in this space, I've built business cases elsewhere. And, you know, change um, and delivering change successfully is about how do we how do we achieve the goal that we're setting out to do? There's always a vision and a goal. Um, and whether you're the person setting the strategy or the person who's um, implementing a strategy, understanding that kind of that wider vision and goal, knowing where you fit into that, where your, your area of ownership or the, the, the job that you do fits into delivering that overall goal it is the most important thing. And then once you've got that kind of, okay, I'm orientated to go in, in this direction, mm. um, then you can start going, okay, what tools do I need? What knowledge do I need? What, what's around me? Who are the people around me who will bring knowledge and capability and a depth of experience that you might not have, mm. um, but you can bring the skills that you bring. And um, then you, you've got a team, you've got a yeah. goal, you've got a direction, and and off you go. Yeah. This uh, is one of the... It's one of the things that I really enjoy about your approach is that you make it sound so simple because actually it is. And we have a tendency, I think, to overcomplicate things. But when you articulate it as you've just done, it's kind of, well, as long as you know where you're going and you know what you need to get there and what what have you got in your team I love this expression about the big grown-up finance stuff that really resonates with me it's like yeah I need I I have um, a fantastic accountant who helps me with all of that stuff whilst I can get on with the stuff that that I know what I'm talking about you know and kind of using the strength of the team is really important isn't it as a leader yeah you know a leader in any team um, is not the team the the team is the team and your your role as a leader of a team is to to set up the vision articulate where you want to go and why and why it's important and why people should care about it be passionate about it and commit to it and you know set out that realistic roadmap that says okay this is where we are this is where we want to go to this is how we'll get there or how i believe we'll get there you recognize the challenges that are going to be faced because um it's easy to say the simple thing and they go on but you know this is difficult and that's hard and we don't have enough of this and all those things can be true but they're just challenges that have to be overcome together or, or yeah. you know, risks that you have to articulate and i've never implemented a strategy without a wiggle along along the path that wasn't <laughs> expected but that doesn't mean that the end state and the end goal um, 
even if the metrics that were originally set out aren't the end ones that you end up with, but you might end up with some similar ones, yeah. the direction is the right one. And as long as you believe in the direction and, and the team believe in the direction and understand the importance of, of why you're doing this, mm. then then you've got a team that can deliver with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other things that really resonated with me in in, in your um, when you shared the example of the priority boarding experience, because I know certainly from from colleagues that we work with in the rail industry that that there can be a tendency to say, well, that isn't going to work because it's you know it, it doesn't meet with that regulation or yes we've got health and safety issue and what are the costs going to be to doing that but that ability to to influence but I guess also to make people have a confidence that you're not going to take any risks that are unnecessary you're not kind of going to put anybody um at danger or you know it's kind of let's let's just try this let's just try and see if it works and then that whole example just fascinates me with its kind of um reliance on human behavior and the and the fact that we like a signpost don't we we really like to be kind of directed as to right where do you go now yeah and i think um safety and security are paramount in, in all transport you you can't do anything that would that would go against those and that's drummed into every individual um but i think uh organizations that have built up and operated over a long period of time sometimes things which get put in place as a process get put in place for a good reason but that reason might not be valid anymore mm. you know times have moved on the reason for something being there is no longer necessarily true or there might be a new way of solving it because we've got new tools we're in you know it's a new environment um there are new tools in our customers pockets you know smartphones Absolutely. change everything yeah um and when we introduced the mobile phone boarding pass at ba and i was you know one of the first mobile phone boarding pass users uh, on the first time we went through it you know people were worrying well what if i drop a customer's phone or you know what if the but ask the customers to scan it themselves. You know, you can, you can hold out the scanner if you want them to scan it, but quite often a customer will pass you their phone and you're not going to drop it because you're yeah. not going to drop it. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and change takes time for, um, for everyone to adjust to, mm. but there are new tools, there are new capabilities that exist um, and they're continuing to evolve. And, you know, I think the the value of data that we now get from new technology tools is huge and we can use that data to get a really better insight as to what's our customer thinking where are they what are they doing how are they facing issues or overcoming issues mm. um, and what are the issues that we've got in the way we make offers or present things mm. um, so uh, not a not an aviation story but a transport one you know a train one i was um getting a train into london for a meeting the ticket machine wasn't working okay fine i'll download the app mm. and i'm on the train that's fine i'll download the app and i'll buy the ticket for my train just like i would if you know if there was a guard on the train who would walk past and I say look sorry ticket machine's down can i buy the ticket now yeah. um but i couldn't buy the ticket for a train that had already departed on the app and i can see why people have designed it that way but also they've forgotten that people sit on a train and go oh the ticket machine's not working the train's yeah. here right now i'm getting on it mm. and i want to have a valid ticket for when i arrive and and you know that's so that there's some stuff that can be done to look at 
why are people facing issues that they're doing you know so yeah analyzing the the data that comes from when things don't work is so important in everything that I've, I've ever touched or changed or made an improvement on it's uh you know yeah. find out what's going wrong how often and why yeah i think it's um i think what you what you're saying to me is kind of taking me back to the the previous point about your um your tendency your history of saying well i don't know anything about that but I'm, i've got this opportunity i'm going to go for it and therefore having what 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 i've come to realize is this beginner's mind and and this kind of fear that i had early on in my career that well i can't go into that because i don't know enough about it but actually you don't know enough about it until you do it but that fresh perspective and that ability to say, why are you doing it like that? Why is it set up like that? And there might be a really good reason, as you've just, you know, in that example you just shared with us. But having a different perspective and having that person as part of the team who can say, why? Why is it like that? And and kind of recognizing that actually technology and the pace of change is massive as well. Um, and if you kind of I go back to, you know, going on holiday with my parents when I was much younger and we would, but you know, we'd be waiting for the tickets to arrive in the post. Yeah. And, you know, it was always the last thing we did before we left the house was like, you know, my dad would be like, right, passport tickets, you know, you have to remember it. Um, and then to now where it's kind of literally everything's in the wallet on your phone yeah it's kind of like wow what we've how quickly we've moved there's there's quite a few things that I think that you've said already um Peter that I think will may well come out in this in your your answers to this next question but I what I'd really love to know is looking at the transport industry taking the experience that you have um in the aviation world but also kind of knowledge of beyond that if if you were going to be in charge, if you ruled the world in terms of the transport sector, what are the three things do you think that we should be focusing on as we move forward into this kind of what what will become at some point the new normal, although mm -hmm. that doesn't stay static for very long? Um, what should we be looking at? What's going to help and what's going to make us improve? Um, I think there are some some really great opportunities that have come out of the change that, through the pandemic that everybody's experienced. So mm -hmm. there's there's new ways of working um, and there's new ways of people planning their lives and organizing themselves. So um, you know the the whole um, telecommuting thing, which was sort of seen as a bit of a backwater, is now mainstream. Mm -hmm. That's going to change the way that we uh, that we work. That's going to change the way that we commute into the office and use office spaces. Um, that's going to create new opportunities because I think the other thing people have recognized is the value of face-to-face -face meeting in terms of creating new human capital as opposed to maintaining human capital over a, you know, a Teams call or a Zoom call or a, you know, a normal voice call. Yeah. Um, so people are valuing face-to-face -face time in a whole new way and that's going to create new opportunities in terms of um, getting people together at the right times for the right things. Um, and I think that's going to generate just a new customer mindset, which will create an opportunity in itself. Yeah. Um, I think um, we're going to see a period of flux for a little while where people are going to, people have you know, jumped straight back into cars and avoided um, some mass transport for a period of time. Mm. Um, and I think the call back to mass transport is going to strengthen both because we're going to get frustrated with the roads, 
and because um, the green agenda is no longer a side issue you know it's central to everything that we're having to think about in, in what we do in our personal lives in the way that we move the way that we use um, energy so i think that's going to create new opportunities mm. um and yeah i think if i was if i had the the magic powers of you know having uh, the opportunity to do whatever i wanted a period of stability would uh, would not go amiss <laughs> for the transport industry um you know a stable regulatory environment stable government restrictions globally uh would allow everyone to just plan and, and be stable um i don't think that's going to happen though um and the one thing i do know about everybody who works in the transport industry is we're really good at responding to change yeah. you know we are throughout the careers that everybody in the transport sector has we've continually faced black swan moments that nobody expected uh, from you know the oil shocks to 9-11 to covid and sars and and, um, and now what's going on in eastern europe yeah. we will respond to those challenge um, focus on what we are here to do which is connect people connect businesses um, and deliver a really great proposition that allows people to you know have those connections and grow their businesses and grow the economy and grow you know, their time with their family and um so i don't think i'm going to be in charge but i do of the world but i do know that uh, <laughs> transport is going to respond to whatever challenge we have yeah if i could influence some things i think um the people challenge in terms of attracting and retaining talent in transport is uh is huge at the moment i think um the stumble into uh transport kind of piece isn't something that we can rely on to grow our grow our teams forever so um making transport an visibly and externally visibly exciting place to work is something that we should all be doing together yes. uh, because once you're in you love it yeah because it's great absolutely i i couldn't agree more you're definitely um you're kind of preaching to the converted here so i've i've been in working with the transport industry for nine years um, it was it was it was a it was a conscious decision, but it was one made from a kind of common sense perspective. You know, if I'm going to set up my own business, I need to be focused on a sector that will always be there and will be kind of less susceptible to um, to economic issues. You know, so so coming into the transport sector for me was a conscious decision, but I had no idea how much I would love it. I absolutely would not want to work in any other industry sector. I think it's amazing. The passion of the people that work in this industry, fantastic. And what, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. So you've said that, you know, put very simply, we're connecting people with opportunities, with work, with family, with friends, with leisure opportunities, all of this stuff, getting people from A to B. Um, what I am constantly underwhelmed and disappointed with is how as a sector we need to get so much better at telling the outside world how great it is it's like the best kept secret it's like you don't tell anyone but it's really good here <laughs> yeah and the number of people i meet in in my sector who are you know multi-generational in in the sector you know yeah granddad worked here dad worked here i work here 
um, you know, uh, not true for me, but so many people I know, and I and I know that that's true in the in the train sector as well. Mm. So we, I don't think we can just rely on uh, existing blood. We need to bring in new talent. We need to make it. Uh, yeah. The the mm. challenges and the opportunities and the vitality of this industry mm. are visibly attractive. Yeah, and I think you you make a really good point there, Peter, in relation to we we can't rely on that kind of well, um, granddad, dad, etc., because otherwise we're just going to get more of the same as well. Um, yeah. And I think you know because it's very rare that somebody says to me, "Well, my great grandma and my grandma and my mum all worked on the <laughs> railway." It does tend to be the male side of the family, um, and so on that basis, if we're going to have any impact in terms of attracting diverse talent into the railway, we need to work harder at that. Um, and I, I have been described in the past as an evangelist for the rail industry, but, you know, other than putting my sandwich board on and walking <laughs> down the high street, can come and join the rail industry. We need, and I'm really hoping that with the advent of Great British Railways and that kind of guiding mind for the industry, I am absolutely hoping and praying that somebody in within the GVR team will actually say we need we need a campaign we need a national campaign a bit like the one do you know where the young lad says I was born in Blythe but I was made in the Navy show us that how exciting it is show us what the opportunities are you don't need a boiler suit and a spanner and some oil on your face that's not what the rail industry is all about yes we've got amazing engineers who do all of the the kind of the the heavy lifting but we've also got some incredible opportunities for people who are focused on strategy on commercial on customer on data all of this exciting new the new skills that we need for the future i'm on my soapbox now peter see <laughs> if you flick that switch and she's off um in terms of um i think for, for each and every one of us as we go through our career we are we when we kind of reflect back there will be times where somebody has been a role model um, that might be because they've done something really positive and helped or it might actually be the opposite in terms of you know fired you up to do something differently because of that they perhaps weren't as positive have you got someone in your in your career so far that you would say has been a role model for you in terms of how you operate I think that there are three people that come to mind through my career who have really helped me adjust my mindset and my perspective so uh you know when i switched from being uh, a technical person to a to the commercial side i worked for a guy called rob pavlov and he really helped me adjust my perspective and see the the commercial side and how to structure a business case so that you can go okay this is why we should be making an investment so that we can have this outcome and, and understand that those outcomes have to be measurable um, and build in measuring those outcomes into into your promise to the business so that that change can be made. And mm. um, he was really good at helping to teach me to change my my mindset, but also giving me space to uh, to make mistakes as I ran around with not much knowledge and a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> um, the next person who really helped me adjust my uh, my perspective was a guy called David Hart, who's an, an economist who I worked for on this on the strategy piece, and he really showed me how regulation works, how it fits inside an industry, how it's there to create certain protections which can be helpful but can also um, be restrictive. And kind of that that further perspective and you know that kind of widening of perspective that he, uh, he really brought to me, as well as um, his ability to influence at the, the very most senior level. You know, seeing somebody who influences at that level was a great learning experience for me and he just did it in a, 
in a really calm but good humoured manner, um, which was which was great and a good learning point for me. Mm. And then the, the third person um, I worked for a lady called Sarah Coulson, who and I switched across to the cargo side. And again, it was about reframing my perspective. You know, moving from from just the one part of a you know one airline into that kind of group perspective. Mm. Um, focusing on how do we do big long-term strategic change and get that into delivery mode mode um, was uh, was really really important so I think the three people who've made the biggest impact on my career are the people who've been at those kind of pivotal change moments and have have helped me um, have helped me grow and learn and grasp the opportunities that that were there in front of Mm. I think that's a really good point in terms of giving you the space to make mistakes as well, because there's something there, isn't there, about working with someone who has enough confidence in you to know that you're not going to make a howling mistake, but there might be things that you're only going to learn how to not do that in the future if you get your fingers a little bit burnt at the beginning. So that space to make mistakes, I think, is critical and really great point. Yeah, and fail safely. You know, it was. Uh, yeah. Yes, really great point. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, I could talk to you for hours. Um, I find you you're, you're really interesting, and I love your communication style, Peter, because you're so straightforward and easy to listen to, and everything just sounds so simple when you explain it. I love it. Um, but unfortunately, I can't do that. So <laughs> I'm going to bring our conversation to a close with one final question from me which is, um, would you mind sharing with us um, a quote? So something that kind of is meaningful to you in terms of how you work, how you are inspired or what, whatever works for you in terms of leave us with a quote. Um, so I don't know if it's an inspirational quote, or, or, but it's something that helps guide my approach, which is if you can't measure it, you don't know you've done it. Right. Um, and it's been really important and impactful in everything I've done. and to give a proof point to allow you to go further is to show by doing this thing, we have made this change, which I can measure and I can prove. Now let me go further. Right. And then each time you can measure the change and the impact that you're having. Uh, and that yeah. gives you the permission to go further, the ability to go further and the sense of achievement that you've actually delivered. Yeah. And that really matters, doesn't it? That really matters. And I think that period of reflection as you come to the end of a project, the end of a campaign, a piece of work, to look back and say, actually, yeah, these are the measures. This is what I've achieved. Because we all need that sense of job satisfaction as well, don't we, to know that there's a lot of change needed. And sometimes it can feel quite a small thing, other times, you know, more significant, but ultimately measuring it so you know that you've achieved it is, is a real feel good factor for an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, thank you so, so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I am confident that our podcast audience will um, have lots of things of value um, that, out of the information that you've shared with us today. Um, so my huge thanks. Thank you very much for, for having me. It's been, it's been lovely to join you on the virtual sofa. Very welcome. My huge thanks to Peter for sharing his thoughts and insights and his career story to date. I found that really interesting and I hope you did too. Thank you for joining us.
My huge thanks to Mark Fontaine for joining me on this episode of Intuitive Experts. There are so many questions that I have as a result of that conversation. I think we really have only scratched the surface. Please do get in touch with Mark if you'd like to know more.